You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode 21, I am speaking with a mediation coach and lawyer. This guest uses her experience as a family law attorney to teach others to mediate online. Based in Chicago, Illinois, today's guest is Susan Guthrie. So welcome to the podcast, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So would you share your story with the audience? I was just thinking about this the other day when somebody was asking me to share sort of my career path, and it's been a little convoluted, but like many of your listeners, I started out you know, in a law firm in typical practice. I was a family law attorney and had a very normal family law practice representing clients, meeting with them in a conference room and going off to court. And I did that for 26 years. And then we moved cross country. And so going from 26 years of practicing law in one place where I knew everyone, everyone knew me, you know, I knew the law, I knew Mm -hmm. the judges. I found myself in California after being in Connecticut forever and needed to find a new way to practice because I had to take the bar exam again in uh, California. So it was an experience. (laughs) And you're being modest. You took the bar exam and you passed your license in California. I am. Thank God. After 28 years. That's incredible. Yeah. It felt, um, I will tell you, it felt like a Herculean task. I thought it was hard. I took New York and Connecticut at the same time way back when I graduated from law school. But when you take a bar exam after being out of law school 20 some odd years and then have to go back to remembering or relearning, frankly, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. So I was very relieved, I will tell you, to have passed. So having taken it after so much time, were you like, why do people put themselves through this? You know, it's different right after law school. A hundred percent. So I passed the bar in California, got sworn in in April. And in September of that same year, we moved to Chicago. (laughs) And of course, of course, because, you know, (laughs) so when we got to Illinois, my husband was like, well, are you going to take the bar in Illinois? And I looked at him and said, Absolutely not. I'm never taking the bar exam again. (laughs) Frankly, I felt like if I took it in California and passed it there, everyone in the country should just accept me. Oh, absolutely. It was hard. Whatever they say about the California bar is true, true, at least based on my (laughs) experience taking three of them. Okay. (laughs) That's funny. So I read about what made you go to law school. You said that you were involved in an accident. Are you okay from that? Did you have any kind of lingering injuries or anything? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. It was as an 18-year-old female, I went through the windshield and broke many of the bones in my face um, and required a lot of reconstructive surgery. So there was an interesting experience of not being, like it wasn't life-threatening injury, but when your appearance is affected to that degree, And at 18, I think, I don't think there's any more, you know, sensitive human being than an 18 year old female about her appearance. So it was really an interesting experience for me to go through. It took about a year to get everything put back where it went and fixed and everything looked a little different than it did going in. It was a drunk driver 
And, you know, there was a lawsuit that ensued and just being a part of that entire process. And I'll be honest, feeling a little bit like, you know how they say doctors treat patients like their symptoms, not like people. Mm -hmm. I felt sort of that I was the sum total of my injuries. I wasn't a person as much. So there was that interesting aspect to the whole thing. I found the legal process really interesting. I didn't find so much the claimant's role in it. You know, I didn't like that part of it. So I wanted to see what I could do to make it different. Yeah. It's good to know that you didn't have an absolutely terrible experience and you were like, I can do better. So I'm going to go to law school. Well, and I wanted to understand it all. I wanted to understand the questions. You know, the lawyer has to explain a lot of the law to the client and the law doesn't always make a lot of sense to the client and it doesn't seem fair to the client Mm -hmm. and all of those things. So for me, it was really interesting and I was interested in finding out sort of that behind the curtain information. Yeah. I find that a lot of lawyers are naturally curious and that kind of is what leads us to law school anyway. I think that's a hundred percent it and thank God, right? Because then you get to law school and if you don't have a curious mind and an incredibly fast reading pace, you're not going to get through those three years. (laughs) Absolutely. So this happened when you were 18. Were you already in college? I was. I was in my first year of college. Yeah. And so what had you intended to graduate with? Like, what did you want your major to be when you were in school? You know, I went in thinking that I was going to be a business major and then I took calculus and realized, (laughs) and then I took econ and then I took statistics and I said, hmm, math is not my subject. So I switched from that and became, oh gosh, I had so many different majors for a while there because what someone told me when I decided I wanted to go to law school was major in whatever you get the best grades in because your grades matter for going to law school. So then for a while there, I became a history major and then I got interested in archaeology and I became an archaeology major and then I became a psych major. And then I became an English major. So my final degree, I believe, was an English degree with a bunch of minors. Okay. I like the idea of history. That makes sense because you're probably doing a lot of reading. A lot of reading and history is actually, we can learn a lot from it. But I will tell you, especially as a family law attorney, which is where I ended up in the world of of law, uh, psychology ended up being probably the minor that I used most often. Yeah. Think it's interesting that you were you thought about studying business and now you actually own your own businesses so that's pretty cool yeah yeah I wasn't prepared at all for owning businesses I was a member in a, a law firm for a number of years but the business side of the firm was handled by our managing partner and mm-hmm. you know the managing committee and so then I split off and opened my own boutique firm and honestly if it weren't for my first office manager who basically held my hand <laughs> through the entire setup process and taught me what I needed to know. I'm not quite sure how that would have gone because I, you know, things like buying a copy machine or leasing a copy machine. I mean, back in the old days when you had copy machines, I mean, (laughs) you know, that was just, it was all something that other people had always taken care of for me. So now, you know, I have three or four different businesses. I've been doing that now for a while as an entrepreneur and math is still, I will tell you, not my subject. So <laughs> I still have a bookkeeper and an accountant. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong no. with that. <laughs> so 
what skills did you learn in law school that you carry with you right now as the owner of four different businesses? Oh gosh, so many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, critical thinking, thinking things through to their logical conclusion, which I think is a you know very important part of practicing law, is also a very important part of running a business. You can't just shoot off with ideas without having an idea of how you're going to put those ideas into play, but also where you want them to go, you know, goal setting and all of that. Just honestly, the thinking about facts and logic, we are so consumed by those in the law, right? I mean, that's so much of what we need to know. And those are our tools that we go into a courtroom with are what are the facts of my client's case that I can use to apply to the law so that I can argue for my client's position and really have to have that critical thinking and ability to think on your feet and put things together in that same fashion when you're in business and when you're out making a pitch to people or speaking to people or talking to a potential sponsor, all of those things come into play all of the time, more than I ever would have thought. I remember being in law school, hearing about people who were in school, but not really to become lawyers, to do Mm -hmm. other things. And I was like, well, gosh, you know, what's the point of, you know, learning (laughs) all this law if you're not going to use it? And what it took me a number of years to to figure out about law schools, yes, you learn some law in law school. We definitely do. But I really do think the main goal of law school is to make you think like a lawyer, to teach you how to think that way, because there's no way you can learn all. I mean, trust me, after studying for the bar, I can tell you (laughs) there's no way you can learn all the law there is to know. You can learn enough of it so that you can apply general laws to facts. But what you really learn is how to take the facts and apply them to the law and make that work for your client. So, you know, that is the thing that you use. And once you have it, you'll never lose it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you find this in your life day in and day out. Someone will tell you a story and you immediately think, well, who was negligent there and who might be (laughs) terrible, but Absolutely. that is how we think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that law school is an endurance test. So oh. once you're on the other side of it, you're like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. I mean, outside of surgery, I feel like I could do anything. Definitely. That I love that you say that. That's great. It is an endurance test. It's like the ultra marathon, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you go, where else do you go in your life, except for life, I guess, where the very first day you're supposed to walk in the door with a hundred pages under your belt and, you know, ready to cite justice so-and-so's decision Mm -hmm. in your very first day in class. I think I got called on in my first class in my first day of Uh, law school and still remember the trauma of that, right? So (laughs) that was me on the first day of law school because I was prepared and I was like, call me today, call me today. Because I knew you wouldn't call me every day, right? So I'm like, call me today, call me today. And I didn't get called on. But then when I did finally get called on, I was like, oh my gosh, oh no. Cause there's something about them saying you that your mind just goes blank and you're just 100%. like, percent, yeah. So. And then the first time you're in front of a judge and they say, counsel, mm-hmm. could you, uh, could you please tell me the citation for the case you're talking about? And you're like, I've read it 900 times, but I can't, you know, you've read it, you've memorized it, you recited it in your bathroom and your closet. And now you're like, I don't wait, give me a minute. Wait, hold on. It's, I know where it is on my desk. 
Let me I'm drink gonna... some water. Let me stall. Yeah. <laughs> Part of my job right now is public speaking. I speak daily all over the world and you can pretty much put me anywhere under almost any circumstances and I can wing it and I can do it. Because yeah. after 30 years of walking into courtrooms and having to navigate that and three years of law school and everything else in between, it'd be hard to stump me on that yeah. type of thing at this point. Definitely. So you're nationally recognized for family law and divorce. Mm-hmm. Did you go into law school wanting to practice family law or did it change? You know, I don't know that there was ever a point where I said, gosh, I want to be a family law attorney. It's really interesting. I I went into law school much as I went into college thinking I was going to be a business attorney. I was going to do SEC transactions. I actually worked on Wall Street for nine months after law school and then found that sitting in a cubicle with, you know, 900 page documents to review with a highlighter for 18 hours a day wasn't really the career of my dreams. (laughs) And so nine months later, I left that job and I went to work like all adult children do when they quit one job. I moved in with my parents and took (laughs) what was going to be a temporary job while I figured out my next steps. And I took a temporary job with a general practice firm in their area. And, you know, 20 years later, I left that firm. So I stayed and it was wonderful because I got to try personal injury. I got to try workers comp. I got to try, you know, real estate. I got to try business transactions. I got to try all different kinds of law because they handled everything. And they really let me sort of wander around the different departments of the firm. And then the managing partner who mainly did most of the matrimonial side of things brought me in on a few cases and it just was what I was good at. I just, there was that instant ability to connect with clients as well as I felt like I was helping them. And I guess that's really what struck me more than in other areas. I truly felt like I was helping people. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that rang a bell for me. And within a couple of years, I had taken over the matrimonial department from him and was running it myself. Yeah, because you found your niche. You found where you needed to be. Exactly. I did take family law. I think I took it in my third year of law school, if I remember correctly, because I needed a class. I needed some (laughs) credits to graduate. And I don't remember being particularly interested in it. And But the minute I got in there, it had the right mix of courtroom work. It had the right mix of dealing with people. It had the right mix of you know, change. No Mm -hmm. case is a hundred percent the same as the last one. And I liked my colleagues out there in the world that I was working with. So it it just all came together right there. Yeah. And that just goes to show you and to show our listeners that being in class and being in law school is completely different once you're out and practicing, you know, you have to have that flexibility and let the law breathe. And once you're practicing, it looks completely different. You know, back in the day, and I think states are doing this right now because of the COVID situation, but back in before the bar exam and all, you know, people used to be apprentices and they would go Mm -hmm. and learn at the feet of other attorneys. And honestly, that's kind of what I did. I really was very lucky to fall in with a firm and with partners who didn't pigeonhole me into anything and let me try different things and were very serious about being mentors and teaching me and taking me under their wings. And until you're actually standing there and 
courtroom <laughs> or in, across a conference table negotiating something or whatever you know your role as an attorney is until you're doing it you just don't know what it means to be a lawyer yeah so let's start to talk about some of your businesses why did you open the most in Guthrie Academy so that is, that's my most recent business. And okay. it's really come about because what I have found, especially during COVID as my life kind of transitioned to training professionals on how to transition to an online practice, I also reconnected with one of my mediation mentors, who's Woody Mostyn, who's kind of in family law. I think anyone out there who's listening who, who knows family law and family law mediation, Woody's kind of the you know, seminal figure in family law mediation. And he reached out to me and gave me the grand compliment of asking me if I would be his training partner. Wow. Um, he's been training for 30 years. He's one of the preeminent family mediation trainers in the world. And so that opportunity doesn't come along very often. So why did I start it? Because he asked me. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was honestly, it is a great honor yeah. for me. And I find that training the future professionals of the world after 30 years of being in the trenches is a great joy for me. I'm mm -hmm. really enjoying it. Do you find that a lot of things are the same or that things are completely different with newer attorneys? You know, the interesting part is, you know, as a mediator, it's almost a detriment to have been an attorney or be an attorney, because as you and I were just talking about, one of the things that we are trained to do in law school and then in practice definitely must put into practice is that advocacy aspect mm -hmm. that telling people what to do, right? We are attorneys and counselors at law. We're there to counsel people, but as a mediator, we're a neutral. And so the last thing we're supposed to do is give them advice or tell them what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And for me, one of the biggest difficulties in making the transition from being an advocate to being a mediator was I could not turn off my advice mouth. <laughs> I had the hardest time not telling people because I could very clearly see where this was going and I just wanted to save them the time and trouble. But one of the benefits of mediation is that the parties, you know, that they arrive at the solution that works best for them, the agreement that works best for them, not what someone else tells them to do. Mm -hmm. So it's actually an interesting experience because we train both attorneys to be mediators as well as professionals from a myriad of backgrounds, a lot of therapists, a lot of real estate professionals, a lot of financial professionals. And the ones who are best initially are definitely the ones who are not attorneys because the attorneys just have a hard time giving up the advice ghost. <laughs> yeah, I could see that when my friends call me and they just want to talk or vent, I always have to ask them, do you want a solution or are you just, you know, spewing? Are yeah. you just getting this off your chest? Just let me know now. <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? Because we are so oriented. Mm -hmm. to advising people and fixing things for people. And honestly, when I described why I became a family law attorney, it was because I finally felt like I was helping people. And in this particular instance, the way as a mediator you help people is by not telling them what to do. Yeah. Um, by helping them discover what they agree they should do. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very different paradigm. 
and you know, back in the the olden days when I went to law school, we didn't have mediation courses and we didn't have dispute resolution. So I didn't even find mediation until I'd been practicing for about 20 years or so. Wow. So do you find that is mediation a lot different from negotiation? To me, a mediation is a negotiation between the participants and okay. the mediator is there as the facilitator. Okay. The neutral facilitator, right? And so they are negotiating with each other, but they're doing it usually in the midst of an emotional situation, right? I mean, whether it's family law or it's landlord tenant, or it's a building that fell down on top of somebody or whatever it might be, there's a lot of emotion involved in conflict. Part of what the mediator's there to do is help them have that difficult conversation about how they might resolve the matter. So that makes a lot of sense. And you train attorneys, you also train therapists and non-attorneys. I love it. So you train anyone. Um, Well, anyone can be a mediator. Okay. Uh, Most states don't have a a regulation around who's permitted to hang a shingle as a mediator. So really anyone can do it. And the very first step is one of our trainings. They learn all the basics of walking people through that type of a process. Okay. And that was actually one of my next questions. I know you have the two businesses, Learn to Mediate, and you also have Divorce and Beyond. Are those structured online courses or are they a la carte where you can just grab a, a section here or there? So the Learn to Mediate online started out as my business. So when I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, Mm-hmm. I, at that time I was forced online. So I started an online practice about five years ago and a couple years into it, a lot of my colleagues were like, Hey, you seem to really like this online thing. Can you show me how to do it? So I started learn to mediate online originally as just a program, a training program to teach people how to either have a legal practice or a mediation practice and how to do that successfully online. And then that business during COVID kind of exploded. In fact, I think that program, I've had 16 or 17,000 professionals take that program since COVID started. That's incredible. I was very lucky to, I already (laughs) had a program in place Yeah, and, you know, people were faced in a very short period of time with needing to pivot online and we're in a bit of a panic. So I was literally doing two, three live webinars a day with wow. up to 500 people in some of those webinars. Now that's a downloadable program or an on-demand program. So people can just go and take it anytime they want right off the website. And people kept coming back after taking that program and said, well, what more can you teach me? So I have programs on online marketing and creating your website and how to start a podcast. All the main questions people ask me, I've turned them into on-demand programs. So Learn to Mediate Online is learning how to mediate online, but also everything that sort of comes in around that, including marketing. Okay. And then would you share more details about Divorce and Beyond? Yeah. So Divorce and Beyond is my divorce-centered podcast. It's about the, the practical aspects of divorce. But also I'm very focused on the and beyond because the one thing that I learned after being in the field for so long was that, you know, divorce really is only a finite time in our lives. And most people have a very difficult time moving forward beyond it. People tend to get stuck. So I have a lot of my episodes are focused on how to get unstuck. 
So the podcast is, is really focused on more about the beyond, but I do as much as I can as well, just on the practical. We just did an episode the other day with, you know, the first steps to take once you've decided that you do need to get a divorce, you know, what should you be doing right away? Yeah. So did you create that podcast because you're the subject matter expert from having practiced family law and divorce for so long? Yeah, that was definitely one of the reasons. And a lot of it was what happens with divorce is that it's a constantly renewing pool of people who need information because unfortunately in our world, divorce is 50% or more of marriages. You know, it's 50% for first marriages, but it's 60, I think it's 64 or 5% for second marriages and even higher for third marriages. So it's, uh, you know, it, that means more than 50% of marriages are actually ending in divorce. But, you know, what happens is someone decides to get a divorce, they go out looking for information, they get divorced, and then they move on with their life. And then another person comes along who's at, goes right back to the very beginning of the process. So what the world needs is that of always available evergreen sources of information. Mm -hmm. And a podcast, you know, when I started my very first podcast, it was two and a half years ago, they were still relatively new. Now there are a number of them. But one of the things that I was trying to do was just take all that specialized knowledge that people were paying me hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour for and put it out there for people Mm -hmm. so they could access it easily. And then I found that I really loved doing interviews and I really loved being in that medium and it went really well. My shows have done quite well. And so now I have the two podcasts. I have one for Learn to Mediate Online as well. So that one is for professionals who want a more technological approach to mediation or legal practice. Okay. You know, when you practice or do anything for 30 years, one of the things that was hard for me to understand was just how much I actually know and have learned because we take it for granted what we know. We, well, doesn't everybody know how to calculate child support and three state, you know, I mean, but no, they don't. Most people don't even know that you're (laughs) going to calculate child support. So it's been something that the more that I've gotten out there in the world and talked about divorce or talked about the topics that I know about, the more I've realized that accessible information is really of utmost importance to people. And that's really why I started the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. Because again, I trained all those people in how to do their mediations online. And they kept coming back wanting more information. And I was also, the field has just been technology in the past seven or eight months has progressed because the demand is so high. Mm -hmm. So things that I might've talked about in March or April, new things have come along and I wanted a way to get that information out to my followers. So starting that podcast just seemed like a natural way for me to be able to keep them up to date. Yeah, it is. And you're expanding your reach to more people, right? Because the people that know you know that you do family law and divorce. And then when you are at work, of course, you're talking about family law and divorce. But now anyone can just Google and find an expert and listen to your podcast or see your content. So exactly. And they find it. And then, you know, those might be the people who are like, oh, well, you know what? I've always wondered how to use social media for expanding my practice. That's actually the one that, especially for lawyers, where their heads start to explode. Social media. Ah! Because lawyers aren't really creative. Not in oh, that God, way. No. 
Yeah. No. Well, there's something about social. I think, you know, one thing that we pick up in law school, and maybe this isn't as much now, but certainly 30 years ago, you know, anything that smacked of advertising was just taboo, right? You yeah. just don't get out there and advertise for clients. And it's an interesting thing because social media is really not about advertising, but in many attorneys' minds, mm -hmm. that's how they see it. They see it as out there pitching for clients. And if, if they take a moment and I am able to speak to them about it, you know, social media is a wonderful networking tool. It's a wonderful way to establish your expertise. It's a wonderful way to put information out in the world. It's a wonderful way to help people but many attorneys immediately equate it with advertising. So it's yeah. probably one of the questions I get most often when I speak at conferences and things is, how do you actually use social media? That one and how do you start a podcast? That's, <laughs> that's the other one. I'm sure you get it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people ask me, why do you have a podcast? <laughs> because I work in a big law office and they're like, but why? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it's my creative outlet. I get to, you know, take my lunch break late and do this and get back to it. And it's, you know, it's fun. So I love that you say that because it's what I get to be creative in. Mm -hmm. It's every little aspect of it, finding guests, doing interviews, mm -hmm. doing the editing, coming up with posts that I put out on social media about the episodes. To me, all of it is creative. So yeah. I love it. So you have multiple businesses, you have your podcast. Why do you keep your licenses active? Do you think you'll formally practice again? You know, at this point, I don't think that I will formally practice again. However, one, I worked very hard for them, especially the California one. So I will mm -hmm. tell you, I will never let that go. <laughs> um, and, you know, so one of the things that I'm doing, I don't get to have... Um, just with my, my businesses, I don't have as much time to practice or to mediate much anymore, but I have represented hundreds of clients over my 30 years. They still come back to talk to me. They still come back when something's happening in their lives or they are thinking about remarrying or they want to do a prenup or they have a post-dissolution issue. And I want to have that ability to be able to speak to them and to be able to give them advice and okay. have it you know, be in that context. So, you know, I don't ever want to say never and a license to practice law is, you know, we, we put a lot of work and time and effort into getting mm -hmm. those. So I will keep them and I will do what I need to keep them current. And you never know when you're going to need your license. Yeah. So. <laughs> so Susan, is there anything else you want to share with the audience about law school or what you've done with your degree or anything? You know, the one thing that I just would love for all of us to realize is that always understand that there are new ways to do everything that we do. The one thing that I found constricting about legal practice is it's so traditional. And I do feel like one of the things that has made me love my post-law firm life more is the creativity, is the ability to take my knowledge and expertise and use it in a myriad of different ways. And the other thing I want people to realize is because it took me a very long time is, you know, we have, and we learn in our practice, a lot of very specialized information that we can help people with. And it doesn't all have to be in a billable hour format. We can help people by putting information out there in the world. I always believe that what you put out there in the world comes back at you tenfold. 
there's a lot that, of good that we can do in the world. It's not all in a courtroom. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love that. Well, and thank you for having me. This was such an enjoyable experience. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.